Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. Max Minute, where they're stringing them up in Mad Max to the Road Warrior, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 57, which begins with Max telling the compound dwellers that he has no intention of staying, and it ends with the raiders putting on a frightening display. Spooky. I wish this was our Halloween episode. Yeah, Between today and tomorrow, it's kind of scary. The whole... I think you... Put it in your notes, nightmare fuel inducing yeah. something or other. It reminds me of Fantasia, that final, the final number in Fantasia. Uh, oh, something on Night on Bald Mountain. Yes, Night on Bald Mountain. That's what it reminds me of. <laughs> <laughs> Night on Mohawk Mountain. Right, exactly. We left off yesterday with everyone fawning over Max because he got the rig and they were so happy to have him around and we start off this moment where he's standing and he's got his hands up and he's talking to everyone and he says it's been a pleasure doing business with you but i'm leaving i'm leaving there's a bit of a discrepancy between what i hear and what is in the subtitles because according to the subtitles after the second time he says i'm leaving he says thanks however when you actually watch it i don't hear thanks i hear here it doesn't sound like a any sort of expression of gratitude. It's like he's just sort of half-heartedly saying, here are the shotgun shells that you gave me, Big Rebecca. Here, take them back. Because the next shot we see is her turning around and walking away. I heard here and giving the shotgun shells back. It was really subtle. They really didn't make anything of it, which is kind of too bad. I mean, I liked the subtlety, but it was an important moment Mm -hmm. that he is not going to stick around. He's making himself very clear, but he's also not going to leave with more than his contract said he was going to leave with. Yeah. I wonder if it would have changed the scene too much to just do a quick insert shot of him taking those shells and just putting them in Big Rebecca's hand because he doesn't want to feel indebted to her. Mm -hmm. She gave him those shells and now he's kind of in her debt that way when, like you said, he fulfilled his contract. He got the rig. The rig is delivered. Everything is settled between him and the compound dwellers and he doesn't need any sort of imbalance between him and them. I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. This was a purely business transaction. There is, he doesn't want any gratitude. His, the gratitude that he wants is fuel. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. Once you have emotion involved, gratitude, it complicates things. And that's yeah. that's not what he's looking for. He wants his vehicle and all the juice he can carry, and that's it. And that's not what they're giving him. Yeah, he's getting his vehicle back. Yes, he's getting the gasoline, but they're also heaping all of this just praise and mushy gushy feelings stuff and an expectation yeah great expectations yes to bring classic literature back into this after our pride and prejudice reference yesterday which (laughs) i'm not like super proud of myself for bringing it up but i don't think you hear that kind of stuff on a lot of other podcasts (laughs) i don't know in england probably do (laughs) in england there is an improv group That is apparently fairly successful, 
called Ostentatious. Uh huh. Their work is centered around or based on Jane Austen's work. Oh, did I'm, not know that. I'm not really sure how that works exactly. I would be interested in seeing a performance purely to find out how an improv group centers all their sketches around a Jane Austen theme or scene <laughs> or something like that. I imagine that they get up on stage, you're like, hi everyone, we're Ostentatious. We're a British comedy skit group. <laughs> Can I hear a location and someone's like the subway and they're like i think i heard an 18th century british manor and then <laughs> can i get an occupation bus driver i think i heard landowner <laughs> <laughs> they just mishear on purpose everything that people offer up as ideas and they always go back to that what is it elizabethan victorian what's what's the era uh i really have no idea it's one of those two it's, there's yeah, there's queens involved it's also we, the edwardian era yeah kings too yeah i don't know i really have no idea we really stopped caring about royalty somewhere around 1776 somewhere <laughs> around there america <laughs> One thing I wanted to bring up, another peek behind the curtain, it's October 15th when we're recording this, and we just got notified that someone went on our website, madmaxminute.com. They went down to the bottom of the page, and they clicked on the make a one-time donation button, and they gave us some money to help keep the show up and running, because this is all out of pocket, except now we have a donor. So thank you, Travis from Tennessee, for helping us offset the price of hosting and equipment and all of that other stuff. Thank you so much. Yes, it's very much appreciated. Yep. It will keep us in hosting for another year. It's nice to know that people are out there and they're willing to help us. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to be appreciated. Exactly. Like I mentioned before, Big Rebecca takes, I'm assuming, the shotgun shells from Max and she turns around and she walks away. And I get the sense that she's offended. Oh, you do? That Max would initially receive her gift. I mean, granted, she took his hand and put the shotgun shells in his hand. So it's not like he received them of his own volition. They were kind of forced on him. I get the sense that she's not happy at all that he would take her gift and just hand it back to her saying thanks, but no thanks. I can definitely see how you would read it that way because she kind of doesn't give anything away in her reaction. She just turns around, walks away. Mm -hmm. So a blank slate is really easily translated into whatever you wanted to say. It's interesting that she's the only one that walks away. Everybody else kind of stands there looking at Max. I would say sort of in disbelief. Well, she strikes me as amongst this particular group that includes the curmudgeon, that she has the most personality, mm -hmm. the strongest personality. She was able to stir up many of the same people who are in this group, were also in the group that dumped their weapons several minutes ago. She was able to stir them up. She seems like the type of person who reacts quicker. She also seems a little bit smarter yeah. than some of the other ones. A little bit sharper, a little yeah. more realistic. So maybe she just saw the truth of what he was saying faster than other people did. Yeah. And reacted in a more timely manner. I agree. As to what she thought about it, whether she was offended or... I kind of read understanding. Yeah. 
because she was very recently in the position where she just wanted to leave. She didn't want to fight anymore. She just wanted to go. And that's what Max is pretty much saying now. Yeah. I kind of read understanding, but I can definitely see how you read offense. From this scene with Big Rebecca walking away, we get a vertical wipe and we see one of the compound dwellers he's up at the top of the refining tower doing his scouting thing he runs to one end of the catwalk there and he shouts oh my god look and then we cut down to virginia sitting behind the flamethrower and the compound dweller up at the top of the tower continues on up on the hill they're stringing them up and virginia hops up grabs the handles of the flamethrower and then we get a zoom in on her face Oh, her face is so great. The expression is just... Terror. Yeah. And shock at what she's witnessing. And what she's seeing up on the ridge, backlit by twilight, are raiders taking the scouts that they've taken captive and stringing them up on these cross-shaped structures stringing them up by their hands and legs and they've got one scout tied up between a couple of tow trucks i mean they're torturing these people Mm, absolutely this is just horrific i think the scouts on the left and the right they have raiders that are taking swings at their legs and then you've got the guy in the middle who's just being lit on fire yes and he's screaming across the valley it's horrible horrible to think of it really is this is it's really a very disturbing scene the way that it is set up visually that we're seeing everything in silhouette Mm -hmm. is very striking and of course it's very well done and it communicates the desire of the horde and lord humongous because this is his plan setting this up during twilight them being backlit and the silhouette makes it easier for the compound dwellers to see what's going on yeah if it was done just during the day and everything is gray and dusty it's gonna be kind of hard to catch the details yeah the leg breaking the setting somebody on fire stringing them up in between tow trucks but doing it at this time at night where you see the silhouette and this night the outlines are nice and sharp you can really very clearly see what's going on it's a striking image one thing one tiny little detail that kind of takes the terror out of it a little bit mm-hmm. if you're watching the scene of everybody strung up focus on the two raiders and the scout on the right side of the screen because as they zoom in the raider on the left so i'm giving a lot of directions Right side of the screen, Scout and Raiders, the Raider on the left, has something that looks like a hammer, and he's swinging the hammer at one of the legs of the Scout, but he's doing it in a really goofy way. He's got both of his hands on that hammer, and he's swinging it, sort of using his whole upper body, kind of like how when you see a Swiss clock and they have the little figurines come out and they swing the little hammers at the bell. It's very goofy looking. like waist is the pivot point? Yeah. Yeah. I'm guessing their their direction was to overact so that those movements can be communicated all the way, all the way to the compound. Yeah. And this particular guy just wasn't very good at it. Yeah. I imagine that these are probably members of the crew, maybe extras from the compound that they dressed up differently and said, okay, we're just going to see your, your outline. So like you said, overact. Yeah. Another point where stage acting and the methods of stage acting come into play in this movie. Yeah, these guys are playing to the back of the house. Absolutely. We cut from the ridge 
where everything is backlit to Max sitting on the hood of the black on black. It's him and the dog. And they're just sitting there eating. Mm -hmm. They're not really paying attention to what's happening outside the compound. But as they're eating, we zoom in and they both look up towards the camera because we start to hear the voice of the Lord Humongous. And he says, you have defiled me. You will know the vengeance of Lord Humongous. I promise you, nobody nobody gets out of here alive. I have several thoughts on this scene. Let's start with Harry Potter because I think it's been a few minutes Mm -hmm. since we've discussed Harry Potter. This reminded me of the final battle at Hogwarts. Everyone is preparing for battle. They know that Voldemort and his army are coming. And then everything stops because Lord Voldemort's voice is just coming from everywhere. This is perfect because Lord Voldemort, his voice just is. It's not coming from a place. It's coming from everywhere. Yeah. And everybody can hear him. He's not, like, speaking into a microphone and a loudspeaker because it's magic. Well, just like magic, (laughs) Lord Humongous is also not speaking into a microphone. Yep. Very clearly. It's not even like he's half obscured and maybe it's there and we just can't see it. He is very clear. He is not speaking into a microphone, but he's obviously coming out of speakers. It's not like the microphone is on a stick in front of him. It's not like it's in one of his hands because he's doing that thing he does where he speaks with his arms. Yeah. He's waving them around. He's gesturing grandly. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Do you know who also speaks that way? Hitler. Oh, yeah. 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 That's why there's a video of Hitler open up on your laptop. That's right. Yes, he speaks the exact same way. (laughs) I think Mussolini spoke that way, too. Like, using all of the muscles in your arm to move your arm with your speech. Mm -hmm. It's very powerful. People talk about Hitler that he was very charismatic. Yeah. And that's one reason why he got so many people to follow him. So I was watching the speech um, on YouTube, and I just don't really see the charisma. Maybe it's a language thing. Yeah. But I imagine that those strong, powerful gestures are part of that charisma, both for Hitler and for Lord Humongous. I still have to wonder about how he's being amplified, though. And (laughs) it's got to be magic. It's got to be some sort of movie magic. Either that or he's got a little earpiece style microphone to the mouth, mouth underneath the mask. Yeah, like some sort of little microphone doohickey that he's got installed in the mask and so when he needs to speak over the loudspeaker but he doesn't want to hang out by the truck he can flip a switch on that giant neck brace he wears ah maybe that's one reason for the neck brace maybe is it holds his uh, microphone pack his lav pack with the batteries and the little transmitter and then it goes over to the truck (laughs) i really like that idea because this movie is so not magical Mm -hmm. there's nothing else that points to a magical world in this movie so it just it can't be magic yeah narnia this isn't no (laughs) (laughs) the land of neverwinter as the lord humongous is speaking like i said before we see max we also see the gyro captain walking up behind archie whitley's character and he goes to put his hand around her shoulder Mm-hmm. Yes, he does. And we don't actually see his hand come to rest on her shoulder. The scene cuts as his hand is just about to come to a rest on her shoulder. So we don't get to see if she accepts his hand on her shoulder or if she, like, bucks it off. Oh, I totally think she accepts it. Given what we're going to see later. 
Yes. Absolutely. Because it's not like none of him was touching her before his hand landed on her shoulder. Mm -hmm. I mean, his the side of him and then most of his arm was probably already touching her and she was accepting it. We could see her face even if he couldn't see her face. Mm -hmm. So if she didn't like it, she would have made a face. Yeah. And she didn't make any face at all. I'm willing to bet that her and the gyro captain spent that afternoon getting to know each other. Yes. Introductions and discussions and, hey, I see you have a pet dog. I have pet snakes. That could kill your pet dog. <laughs> I, I think he's a responsible snake owner. You think he's a responsible snake he owner? He has a bag that he keeps them in. It's not like he just lets them slither around wild. All right. <laughs> um, it's a low bar. I kind of imagine that their relationship is, to a certain degree, businesslike. Yeah. That they both have a need. He wants companionship and she wants to stay alive and get out of there. So they see the mutual benefit of being together. So they're together. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I don't really see it as romantic. I see it as sweet because they do seem to have some kind of affection for each other. But I think in this world, especially in the world of the compound where life and death is ratcheted up even higher, that there may not be enough room left over for actual real legitimate romance. Right. There may be only enough room left over for a business like let's both stay alive and be relatively happy kind of romance. Yeah. And you know what? That's fine. Yeah. Because it's consensual. So whatever. Exactly. <laughs> whatever you want as long as they both agree. If consent is there, cool. Yeah, which this is jumping ahead a little bit, which I know annoys you, but I'm going to do it anyways. In this upcoming week, they have made decisions together and then she changes her mind. Mm -hmm. And he bucks it a little bit, but then she makes herself clear and he's like, okay. Yeah. So the relationship continues to be consensual even when it doesn't go his way. And that's lovely. Yeah. I'm looking forward to talking about that scene. Yes. Because it shows that even though they literally just met that day and that they're in a very high stress situation, that... The gyrocoptain is, for the most part, a gentleman. He respects and listens to her. And I'm looking forward to exploring that more closely. Yes. Just not today. Right. <laughs> Save it. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that stands out to me about the Lord Humongous, aside from all of his arm talking, is the words that he uses to speak. Specifically how he says, I promise you, nobody, nobody gets out of here alive and initially i thought of that one song from dream girls at the end i've never actually seen dream girls but i've heard the song they say no one no 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 one and then they go on with other lyrics i don't know what they are i just know that one part and him saying nobody made me think of that but then it made me springboard off of dream girls over to the human beings from 1967 and their song nobody but me and that's the song that talks about how nobody can mash potato like i do and no one can cabbage patch or whatever those weird songs from the 60s were called and the whole idea of the song is nobody but me dances that well and nobody so, does it better oh that's a complete that's i didn't even think of that one <laughs> I didn't even think of Carly Simon. <laughs> Actually, 
that's a good connection because that is the theme song from The Spy Who Loved Me, which is a James Bond movie, and Virginia Hay was in a James Bond movie. Oh, nice. Everything's connected, and I'm sure Kevin Bacon is in there somewhere. Yeah, him saying nobody like that, it made me think of a song because that's what happens. And keeping in step with me talking about songs, turns out... For the 2017 movie The Hitman's Bodyguard, Samuel L. Jackson recorded a song called Nobody Gets Out Alive for the soundtrack of that movie. Sounds particularly apt. Yeah. I listened to a little bit of it. It's it's all right. I guess it's an actor singing. It sounds good enough. I'm not saying it sounds bad. Yeah. I'm not besmirching the name of Samuel L. Jackson at all. He's a great actor, and I have a lot of respect for him. You did that thing where you upturn your voice. Did I? So you question everything you just said. No, it's just Sam L. Jackson is an amazing person, and he can be a little intense sometimes. <laughs> I am, that, is, that is true. And I am squishy. <laughs> <laughs> Something that stood out to me about this scene, because after we see the Lord Humongous standing up on top of the ridge addressing the compound, we cut back to Max and Dog. And before we cut to Lord Humongous, they were sitting there eating food. They looked up at the camera. When we cut back to them, they're still looking at the camera. Dog stays looking at the camera. Dog is paying attention to what Humongous has to say. Max doesn't. He just goes back to his food because he doesn't care. That sounds right. I do have to wonder about Max's plan. We know that he is not planning to leave with the compound dwellers. So what is his plan? Yeah. How is he going to get out with the car? He's already gotten out once on foot. And yay, that was fantastic and he made it out alive. But this is a whole different ballgame with his car. Yeah. I mean, he's not rushing out. No. He sat down. He's having something to eat, which makes a lot of sense. He hasn't eaten since. I the last time we think... saw him eat, maybe? Yeah. So Which was two days ago? He ate up on the ridge. They slept on the ridge. They slept on the ridge. The next morning, he found the scout, brought the scout back, parlayed for the deal, left that night. So he did a whole day without us seeing him eating. Yeah. He traveled to the rig. Brought the rig back the next morning. So yeah, I think it's been like two, two days, days since he last ate. So yeah. he must be very hungry. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. I I can't imagine that the dwellers wouldn't feed him before he left for their mission. Yeah. Or at the very least, allow him to eat of his own food stores. Yeah. I hope that happened. Yeah. Really do. Not that we necessarily needed to see it, but it's one of those things, Pixar didn't happen. You can't really yes. know for sure. Yeah. The scene of Max eating fades to black. And right around the 49 second mark, we come up from a black screen and we are in the midst of the raider camp and they are just going hog wild doing raider things. I didn't even know what to write down about these these few seconds, these about 10 seconds that we see this. Yeah. It's chaotic. It's fast-paced it there's elements that turn on and off like the rain in some scenes it's raining and other scenes it's not i think we get a pretty good look at a raider who is wearing a mask that i doubt he wears on a daily basis like mm -hmm. this is a special terror mask yeah like i saw the flaming nunchucks mm-hmm being swung around, I saw the motorcycles doing their 
burnout circles in the dirt with the inexplicable and random rain. There was a group of raiders that are all kind of gathered around something, hooping and hollering, and then you can see the Lord Humongous in the background, and then you've got more flaming nunchucks. That must be a thing. The whole idea of lighting sticks on fire and whipping them around like that. It does seem like something that could be a dance, like a formal dance. Yeah. It harkens to Polynesian culture, where they have dances, where they swing around flaming sticks and whatnot. Yeah. And they're, I don't know enough about them to know if they're ceremonial, but they are like formal dances that men and women do. Yeah, I know that there's, I want to say it's the Samoan Islands, where they have their pre-fight psych-up scare people dances. I think it's called the Haka. Yes. I met a lot of of Polynesian people when I lived in Vegas for a few years. Yes. That reminds me. Okay, rewinding way back to the beginning of, oh, okay, yesterday's minute. This is going back to yesterday's minute when I was doing some research on movie tropes. Yeah. One of the movie tropes that was listed for this movie was, and I didn't know what it meant at the time, but now I know what it means, was that Wes has a Hakka-type expression on his face for quite a bit of the movie. Yeah. And I didn't know what that meant, and it wasn't what I was looking for, so I just blew right over it. But now that we're talking about the warrior dance, and you said that word, now I know what it means. Yeah, I think... He has this, like, intense, about-to-do-battle face-on for a lot of the movie. Yeah. I think the, the Samoan national rugby team, every time they go to a game, locally or internationally, they have a pre-game haka that they all do. It's very impressive. If you've, listeners, if you've never seen a haka, jump on YouTube and find, like, a group of people doing it. I think it's we'll be able very... to find a good example and we'll post it on the listeners page. Okay, that sounds good. A little bit of homework for us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to continue Continue watching this display, for lack of a better term, tomorrow. It takes up a good chunk, as far as I'm able to remember. So we'll talk a little bit more about what's going on there and what we see and whatnot, and then we'll join up back with the compound dwellers and see what they're doing. Instead of paying attention to the murder display, they're doing something else important. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 57 of The Road Warrior. See you tomorrow.